0: All righty, we're finishing up Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great series. How many of you really uh, appreciated this series? I have. It it has really spoken to me. And, uh, you know, I've been preaching a long time, but you always see new things. Uh, The Word is just this. We could live to be a million and never exhaust the Word. Now, we're going to talk tonight about shock on Judgment Day and Jesus ends with just do it. You know, that's one, that's one of the uh, secular slogans that's always worked for me because Jesus' message and the Bible's message to you and to me is just do it. Once you've heard the word of God, do it. Amen? So last time we ended talking about how to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing. You have been thinking about that one? How to spot a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus warned, beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing. And you're going to know them, how? By their charisma? By their talent? By their looks? No, by their fruit. We are to be fruit pickers. We are to look at the lives of those who are teaching us and say, or or who who we're thinking about opening our souls to and let them teach us. We're to look at them and say, okay, Are they biblical? Are they living the Christian life? Are they the real thing? Now, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns about what a shocking moment judgment day is going to be. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's going to be a shocking moment. Look what Jesus said in verse 21, chapter 7. Not everyone, let's read this together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father. Do you hear that? Not just those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who did the will, who did the word, who were genuine. Now, right on the heels of warning about false prophets, the Lord talks about those who are going to be totally surprised on that day. We're presented with individuals who never for a moment thought that they would be turned out of heaven when Jesus returns to judge the world. And folks, let me tell you, he's near. And not everybody is going to be thrilled when Jesus appears. Jesus talks of people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, when they see him. Yet according to Jesus, this will not be enough to gain entrance We would tend to think otherwise. I I thought otherwise when I first read this years ago. For they're actually calling him Lord. That's what they're saying, Lord. As soon as they realize heaven is being blocked from them and they're being turned away, they raise a protest to the Lord. And here's their protest. Here's their argument on their own behalf. Jesus said, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many wonders, miracles, signs in your name? Lord, we held miracle crusades. Lord, we, we, we talked to others about you. We were known as ministers. These people have called Jesus Lord, and that's a dilemma. They've done miracles in his name. How then can they not be received into heaven? Now, have you noticed that with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is always cutting to the heart of the issue. He's always sifting and filtering between what is real and what's not, what's genuine and what's false. He's always taking it to the heart. It's one thing to not kill somebody. It's another thing to not have murder in your heart. It's one thing to not commit adultery, but it's another thing to not have lust in your heart. He always takes it to the heart. Now, here he is again, dealing with the real versus the false, the genuine versus the phony. He's always distinguishing between the two. And that's what a lot of the Sermon on the mount has been about. Now, I believe the answer is, is simple. How how can these people be getting turned away? Lord, Lord, we preached in your name, did miracles in your name, cast out devils in your name. How are they turned away? Here's how. They're offering to Jesus lip service without ever having truly embraced him as Savior. Now, I know this is so because Jesus says in the very next verse, quote, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So he's saying, here's how you can be turned away, though you're saying, Lord, Lord, and you did wonders in my name. I was never in relationship with you. I never knew you. I was never yours, and you were never really mine. You weren't saved. And not only that, but Jesus gives us what their lifestyle was all about in one word. You were lawless. And anybody who's outside of Christ and living in sin is a lawless person. Lawless. Now, this is a very sobering moment. If you can just kind of picture this, I don't know how many will be standing there saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we this and didn't we that? And, you know, we did all these miracles in your name. I don't know how many are going to be standing there because they will be from all around the world. They will be in every time zone. On every continent, in every nation, city, state, and county, people will be, because when Christ appears, the Bible says, every eye will see him. Yes. So you're going to have Jesus returning here, and the whole world is seeing him, and, and he begins to separate the sheep from the goats, and the goats are saying, Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Why can't we get in? And he's going to say, you lived lawless lives, you were never really mine, you were phony baloney. That's the key, they never really knew him. Now these false ministers and false Christians Jesus mentions, this is amazing, they had cast out devils in his name, they prophesied in his name, they had done wonders in his name. Think about this church, and yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Did you know you can do a wonder in his name and not know him? Did you know that you can talk about him to others and not really know him yourself? Do you know that there are pulpits all over America where somebody steps behind that pulpit and and they talk about him but they've never been born again? I mean, this is just a fact of life. That's why around here we're always saying you must be born again. You know, I was reading this week uh, one of my heroes in the past uh, is George Whitfield, the great preacher, probably the greatest preacher that the church has ever produced ever. He was amazing. George Whitfield would would preach to a crowd of thirty thousand people with no microphone because there weren't any. He was a he was an, an evangelist from the seventeen hundreds. He was born in England. He came to America 13 times, and do you know that with every trip, every journey to America took him four months by ship? Do you know that he was on a ship for four years of his life just to get to America to preach the gospel to you and to me, to this country? On on, on a ship for four years. Mm. I guarantee you he had no seasick problem. He was okay with sailing. But he did that. Wesley only came over once. John Wesley and Charles came over once. He came 13 times. And when he would get here, they would spread the word that Whitfield had come to preach. And and 20,000, 30,000, when he was preaching in in young Boston, Massachusetts, 30,000 people came to hear him. And he was heard clearly at the back of the crowd. Such was his voice. And we know it's real because Benjamin Franklin was there and was so intrigued of about what he'd heard of this man's voice, he measured off the crowd himself, though he never became a Christian. He loved to hear him preach. Somebody said to him once, Why are you going to hear Whitfield all the time? Do you believe what he says? He said, No, but he does. He does. And so his message was very simple. If you read one of his sermons, it's super simple. It was the person who preached it that made it so profound. But um, his message was this simple. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. A woman went up to him one time and said, listen, I've heard you preach several times. Why are you always saying you must be born again? And he looked at her and said, because you must be born again. You must. We must be born again or we're not his. And Jesus is telling us right here, I never knew you. Yeah, you're doing wonders in my name, but you were never in a relationship with me. How could they do miracles in his name if they never really knew him? This happens all the time, church. Somebody will do miracles in his name and not know him. Now, that's not... The rule, that's the exception because most, I, I personally believe most preachers are good men and real men, but there's fakes out there and, and, and we have to acknowledge that because Jesus tells us there are. Beware of false prophets that come to you like sheep, but inside there are wolves. Beware of them. Don't be deceived in the last days. People use the name of Jesus all the time for financial gain. They don't know him. They have miracle services where people are healed. And yet somewhere along the way, the minister is found to be living an utterly sinful life. And it's very clear. You look at the fruit, he doesn't know the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. You say, well, but but Jeff, how does a miracle happen through somebody who doesn't even know the Lord? I'm going to give you an answer for that. Sometimes God simply honors the faith of the recipient utterly apart from the ministry. Because what did Jesus say? He said, be it unto you according to your faith. I'll pray for you any day of the week for your healing. And we have a healing room here. But you know what? Your faith can bring you a miracle. At other times, the name of Jesus spoken, even by a sinner, carries power in and of itself. Yeah. A gun is going to fire a bullet, whether it's a good person or a bad person pulling the trigger. And, and, and there's power in the name of Jesus. I can, I can put Humpty Dumpty in an elevator full of people and let him say the name of Jesus, and the same reaction is going to happen. Pure fear <laughs> and shock. Have you ever gone into an elevator and just said the name of Jesus or started talking about God when you've got a captive audience and they can't get out? How they start start hitting buttons for floors they're not even going to? You know why? Because the name of Jesus has power. It has power to heal. Now, unfortunately... We see all the time fraudulent ministers using Jesus as a way to make money. I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. Like I said, it's the exception. It's not the rule. If you took all the ministers in America and got them together, most would not be this way. But unfortunately, some of the ones that do this the worst are the ones that are highlighted the most. Paul talks about them. And he seeks to distinguish himself from them. I want you to listen to what he said. Here's the Amplified Bible. Quote, For we are not like so many, like hucksters making a trade of peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating the divine message. But like men of sincerity and the purest motive, as commissioned and sent by God, We speak his message, look at this, in the very sight and presence of God. Paul is saying, I know who's looking. So I am not going to adulterate, prostitute, the message or the gospel to make money. Because I know who's watching and I know who I'm going to have to answer to. Now there's nothing wrong with a minister making a decent living. Nothing at all wrong with that. But it's when... The reason you're out there is to make money off the gospel. That's where, in my opinion, you don't know him. Paul warned his son of the faith, Timothy. Listen, to we told Timothy. He warned him about men who are corrupted in mind and bereft of the truth, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit. You catch that? They imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money making business, a means of livelihood. What do you say to do with those people? Read the next three words from withdraw Amen. happens all the time. Church. people are out there to make money off of it and there 's a lot of people that have become multimillionaires off of the gospel, off of the word of God, off of using the name of Jesus. But listen, when Jesus returns to judge the world, it's going to be a very sobering day indeed. There's going to be worldwide shock on the part of many who assume that just because they used his name and gathered a crowd, they were going to be received into glory. There are going to be television ministers who made endless false promises to gullible viewers, that if they were to send them money, just send in your money, God will perform a miracle for you. If you just send in your money, you're going to get a miracle. And now it's to the point where many people believe, if I don't give and purchase my miracle, I'm not going to have a miracle. Can I say it? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? But we have been so taught that you got to send in seed money. And if you don't send in seed money, then you're not going to get any miracle. And you know what? Most of those promises never happen. And those men are going to answer to God. I've talked to people who walked away from Christ. Walked away. Because they were watching television. Usually the telethons. Boy, I'm going to get in trouble here when this goes on radio. But every Every kind of zany, unbiblical, you know, send in your $70 and in 70 days you're going to get 700 and or send in your $21 on the 21st of this month and you're going to get your and, 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 and all this stuff. And then you have thousands of people out there, it never happens, but they gave. And if they're young in the faith, they stumble And they say, well, none of this must be real. And they walk away. I've talked to them. I've talked to them. It ought to be cleaned up. You know, if God's with you, and I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for support, but but some of these promises, send in your money, and as soon as we receive that check, your runaway child is coming home. Or as soon as we get that check in the mail that your your wife who's dying of cancer is going to be healed. Oh, I've heard all that stuff. And I just think it's atrociously sinful. I just do. Because because millions, well, I don't know about millions, but tens of thousands are watching these things all over the world. You're telling me that everybody who sends in that check that has wayward children, all of them experience their children running home because they gave uh, uh, come on. Jerry. Y'all with me tonight. I, I just want honesty out there. Lord, forgive me if I'm saying anything. I, should, I don't think I think I'm doing real good. Uh, I just, I'm getting old and ornery, older and ornery. I, I just, these things, I say it's time. For people to be honest and shoot straight and tell the truth and quit this manipulating. All right. There's going to be found on that day men and women who have stood behind pulpits and churches, both great and small, that taught false doctrine, misleading the people. They misrepresented Christ, or perhaps they twisted the true message of the Christian faith. This happens every week, every Sunday. Suddenly, everything's going to be laid bare. All their hidden sins are going to be exposed, and it's going to be eternally too late to make it right. If you were in it just to make money off of Jesus... Lord, Lord, they will cry, but the injunction from the mouth of Jesus is going to be, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to reply, but hey, wait a minute. Didn't we talk about you, speak in your name, do miracles in your name? And he will say, yes, but I saw the truth. Rather than truly serving me, you were living lawless lives, and you never really knew me. You used my name only for gain. Never as one who truly knew and loved me. That, listen, that's going to happen with some. For most I believe there's going to be a reward, and I believe they're real. I'm not trying to taint you against ministries. I'm pointing out something that Jesus pointed out, that there's going to be some who are going to be really shocked on that day. What a day that's going to be. And the very fact that Jesus finishes his Olivet Discourse on this note is certainly a warning to one and all that God is not to be trifled with. We may fool the people. We may even fool ourselves but we cannot fool him. Amen? We can't. That's why we teach here, keep short accounts with God. Sure, you're going to mess up. Sure, you're going to make mistakes. Sure, you're going to sin. Anybody sinned yet this year? Oh, your hand better go up. You just now sin by pride and lying. No. We're going to mess up. Of course we are. But but we teach keep short accounts with God. Repent, because he sees it. He never to anything you tell him. He never says, well, I'll be. I didn't know that. You know that, Gabriel? He doesn't need to hear it. We need to say it. Keep our hearts clean. Now, in closing out his matchless discourse, Jesus tells the world just how important his teaching is and what are going to be the consequences for both those who hear and obey his words and those who do not. Now, here's what Jesus has to say to us. There are two foundations, and only two, upon which we can build our lives, a rock foundation or a foundation made of sand. Now, Jesus first talks about the rock foundation, and and let me tell you what it is. It's not just Jesus as Savior, but it's Jesus as teacher, and this message tonight is really dovetailing with what I'm preaching on Sundays because he's not just our Savior, he's our teacher. He's our philosopher. He's our counselor. He's our guide. And we have been called to follow his teaching and to pattern our lives according to his teaching. That's why we're teaching Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights. Because he's teaching us in Sermon on the Mount how to do life. Okay? So it's, it's Jesus is Savior of our life, but then we build our lives on the rock of his teaching. That's the rock foundation. So he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man that built his house on the rock. Look what happened. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. Everybody say with me, it did not fall. Now this this house just went through a serious storm, but it did not fall. Why didn't it fall? Read it with me. For it was founded on a rock. The rock of Jesus as Savior and as teacher. Yes. Now I want you to notice that Jesus first points out the necessity of doing what we hear. He that hears these sayings of mine and does them, acts on them, builds on them, obeys them, weaves them into the tapestry of their life, We must act on his teaching, not just listen to it. Everybody in here is hearing me right now. The question is, how many are going to go out and act on it? Okay? The Apostle James, as many of you know, gives the same command in his letter. He says, don't just listen to God's word. James 1, verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're only fooling yourself. If you go out and you say, man, that was good. Pastor Jeff did good. He sweated a little bit. I like watching him sweat. And you go out and you get in your car, and by the time you're home, you forget what you heard and you don't apply it. He said, you just deceived yourself. You're fooling yourself. If you think just listening is enough, it's only the doer of the word that benefits. Three verses later, James writes, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and that's the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus set us free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He doesn't bless you for hearing it. He blesses you for doing it. So how many in here want to be blessed? I know I do. I love God's blessing. I love knowing the hand of my God is upon me. So if you want to be blessed, he says, put what you hear into action. Assimilate the word into your life. Walk it out and you will be blessed. Jesus goes on to tell us that life brings guaranteed storms. Not only are we to be doers of the word. But he guarantees us that storms are going to come. Being a Christian does not storm-proof your life. Sometimes you even have more trials because now the devil's after you. Right? We've got to learn how to deal with the devil. Now, look how Jesus describes the storm. He says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and look what they did, beat on that house. That's brutal. He doesn't say if they come. He intimates when they come. And the rain represents trials. He says the rain descended. That's trials. He's using rain as a metaphor. The trials begin to fall. Jesus says the rain of trials falls until it becomes a flood of trials. I hit a flood on the way here tonight over at our house way in North Fort Worth, it was pouring. I mean, it was raining, a gully washer. And when I was going down 35, and all of a sudden, I saw this glistening in the middle of the road, slowed down. I hit a flood. If I hadn't seen it and slowed down, I would have hydroplaned all over the place. Scott might be teaching tonight. But now, Jesus said, and how'd that flood come? Well, of course, it rained so hard that it turned into a flood. Jesus is talking about a major trial here. Rain falls until it floods. And then on top of the rain, a howling wind begins to blow against you. That's the wind of adversity. So here you are. Rain is falling. And it does just fall a little bit. You got a trial here and a trial there. Suddenly... There is a conspiracy of trials, a like a, a band of trials that comes against you, so much so that it is a flood of circumstantial difficulty. And then on top of that, the howling wind of adversity. Here you are. It came from nowhere, and now you're in a real battle. Jesus says that this multi-pronged attack beats on the house. Now, I tell you all the time that words matter, especially Bible words. Do you know that the word beat here means to rush violently upon? It signifies something so strong that whatever it encounters falls or bows down in its presence. Picture somebody standing in the ocean as a 12-foot wave rises and crashes down upon them. They don't stand there while a 12-foot wave rises and crashes down upon them. They are knocked down by the wave and carried by the wave. That's the idea behind the word beat. Your, Your house is all of a sudden under assault. Your marriage, your finances, your health, something. And you know what? Jesus says when storms like this come, they reveal real quickly what we've built our house on. Have you ever noticed that? If you want to find out if your roof has a leak, let it rain hard for a long time. All of a sudden, every weakness in your house is revealed. Same thing with you and me and trials. And here's, here's what the trials reveal. Have I built my spiritual house with the brick and the mortar of the teachings of Jesus Christ? Or have I built with the uncertain, faulty philosophies of this world? The storm will always reveal the answer because either you're going to stand or you're going to fall. You're going to make it through it or you're going to go down under it based on what you built your house on. Jesus promises that if we pattern our lives on his teachings, when the storm is over, guess what we're going to be doing? Standing. Standing. Because we've built on the rock of his word. Just going back over this series a little bit, we will have built or put into practice per the things we've studied in the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks. If we are building on what Jesus taught, then we're going to have lives of forgiveness, moral purity, blessing enemies, right motives for fasting, prayer, and giving. We will have set our affections on heavenly riches over earthly riches. We will have stopped worrying about our lives. We will be be found seeking first his kingdom and practicing persevering prayer. We'll be found walking in the confidence that God is good and can be trusted. We will have learned to recognize false prophets, and on it goes. All the things we've looked at, in chapter 5, 6, and 7, will be, to the best of our ability, as we grow in grace, we will have been putting those things into practice. Amen. The foundation of Jesus' teaching is a solid rock. Can we say that together? The foundation of Jesus' teaching is a solid rock. Is he your teacher tonight? Yes. Well, of course, I'm talking to the choir. You're here on a Wednesday night listening to his teaching. Conversely, Jesus warns that if you build your life around worldly thinking, false philosophies, faulty worldly assumptions, the same storms are going to come to you as well. You might be saved, but you haven't built your life on his teaching. And they will soon reveal what you have built on. Jesus warns everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not what? Do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on what? The sand. And the rain came, same rain. The floods came, same floods. Winds blew, same winds. And did the same thing. Beat on that house. And look what Jesus said, it fell. And look what he adds to the end. And great was its fall. When somebody's life crashes down, it's always a great fall. Listen carefully, to Jimmy Church. I'm telling you the truth. Any worldview, any philosophy that is not from Christ Jesus is going to fail you in the end. It's a guarantee. You're either built on sand or you're built on the rock. You're applying his teachings or you're not. Paul the Apostle warned in Colossians 2, eight. one of my favorite verses. Don't let anybody capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, the devil, rather than from Christ. You notice what he said worldly philosophies do? They capture you. The word capture here means to be carried off like a predator with its prey. It's like a hawk that swoops down on a mouse, grabs him in its talons, and lifts off and carries him away for lunch. That's what false philosophies do to you and me. They grab hold of us, they capture us, and then they carry us away Enslave them, and you can be as saved as the day is long, but you have opened your life and your mind up to a worldly philosophy that has nothing to do with Jesus, and you have been captured. Well, I've seen all kinds of Christians in churches captured. We watch and listen to things all the time. Just because they say they're spiritual. Boy, I could talk shows. I was talking to Kathy today. We we listen to conservative talk shows uh, where they're conservative politically. But those dudes are almost never conservative theologically. And you got to watch it because a couple of them are are, are Jewish and, and, and they are really literally evangelists for Judaism rejecting Christ. And yet people know they're good people, they're, they're, you know, they're intelligent people, and Christians listen to these people and they go, well, maybe I just need to go into Judaism and forget all this Jesus stuff because these men will say, I don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And if, you, and if you're not careful, the hawk will come down, get you in its talons, and you will be captured by a philosophy that has nothing to do with Jesus. And you wonder why you're depressed, oppressed, sad, sad, confused, feeling lost, disconnected? The Living Bible puts it this way. Don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. If Jesus didn't say it, I don't want anything to do with it. He said, Pastor Jeff, that's narrow. It's a narrow way. It's a narrow way. So, you need to expand your mind, Jeff, and be open to other ideas. That's what the devil told Eve. Go ahead and eat of that tree, Eve. You will know good and evil just like God. She ate that fruit to expand her mind, and it blew up her life and ours. I've seen through the years, there's one thing to turn to Christ as Savior, and I see people do it all the time. But it's another thing entirely to build your life around his teachings. Many who look to Christ as Savior don't ever wind up looking to him as teacher, and that's the pulpit's fault. The pulpit ought to all the time be telling The congregation, listen, you need to be patterning your life after the words and teachings of Jesus. You will know the truth, his truth, and that is what makes you free. He's just not viewed as teacher, but he should be. Nobody understood in all of history, life and people better than Jesus. Here's my observation as we come to the close. My observation has been... Christians who don't dig into the scriptures to study and then practice what Jesus said almost always wind up captured by some kind of worldly thinking. They invariably become a mixed bag of biblical and worldly thinking. And in whatever area of life they embrace this worldly thinking, be it their morality, their finances, their relationships, their spirituality, they are robbed of what they could have had in Christ. Because he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him is locked up all the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, notice how Jesus describes the end of the person who doesn't build their life on his teachings. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house and it fell. The same storm hits the last person, they hit the first person. But he or she doesn't have the foundation of Jesus' teachings built on their life. So the foundation of sand they have built on gives way during the storm and the whole house collapses. It's not the frame of the house that matters most, and anybody in construction here knows it's true. It's not the frame that matters. You can build an incredible frame on a faulty foundation. The frame is endangered immediately. You're wasting your time. you got to be sure that foundation is cement. What holds up the rest of your house is what matters most, and that is Jesus as Savior Jesus as teacher. Now, in closing, Matthew records, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished. Wow, did you hear that? Why? Because he taught them as somebody having authority and not as the scribes. Of course, they were astonished. Folks, this wasn't a normal man bringing a normal message on a normal day. This was God wrapped in flesh, come to earth to feel our pain and die for our sins and rise from the dead so that we can be justified by his blood. That's who was teaching. Amen. Can we stand together tonight?